Sales Tuners, Episode 87. Scott Lease, Senior Vice President of Sales at Qualia. If you're asking me how to close this deal, you've screwed up way sooner in the process, all the way back to the beginning. So you don't need help closing, you need help with the intro. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Albert Hubbard, who said the greatest mistake you can make in life is to continually be afraid you'll make one. Joining me today is Scott Lease, Senior Vice President of Sales at Qualia, a real estate platform built to simplify the way closings work. No stranger to success, Scott has been named a top 25 inside sales leader by AAISP, built and scaled numerous multi-million dollar sales teams, been listed on the Inc. 500 list four separate times, and did all that after overcoming an addiction to opioids in his early 20s. All right. Hey, I had a microphone issue on my end as we recorded this chat, but we've cleared up as much of it as possible. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 87. But now let's get to the conversation where Scott talks about the allure he sees in early stage companies. I just love building things. I love the early stage startup growth, you know, where it's just a few people in a room and you've got a great product and a great idea. And it's like, let's figure out how to sell it. Uh, let's get some traction. Let's figure out how to scale it. Let's build a team. That, that whole zero to a hundred phase um, I've spent my entire career in in, in this part of uh, the startup world, and that I just keep going back to it over and over. It's funny you use the word build. I have a mentor that he and I have been going back and forth lately uh, with, with the philosophy behind build versus create. And I use the same word you do. I'm a builder. I'm not a creator. I'm not someone that can take it from exactly zero, exactly scratch. But as soon as the thing is in some kind of motion, I can build and build and build on that. So I love uh, just that the nuance between that word. Scott, there's so much that I, I'm looking forward to talking uh, with you about today. But I want to start with what you're doing today. You're the SVP of sales at Qualia. Uh, talk to me a little about your sales process today. And, and what is Qualia? And why does a typical customer actually buy from you? Well, Qualia is emerging and growing into a platform that's going to kind of revolutionize the way that real estate is transacted uh, in this country. But, but our first point of entry is settlement software for the title insurance business. It's, it's a very antiquated uh, industry. The uh, sort of incumbent software leaders uh, have been around for a long time and no one has innovated in the space in about 20 years. So here we come along, we're modernizing things, we're making it more efficient, we're making it more secure. And so we approach real estate law firms as well as title companies uh, all across the country. And it's kind of a rip and replace deal. I hit some of the highlights in your bio earlier and all the awards and different companies you advised. Uh, you haven't always been the salesperson that you are today. So take me way back. How did you actually even get into sales? I went to undergraduate school in, in the San Francisco Bay Area at a Division II school called Dominican. I played soccer and tennis there for four years. Studied psychology and religious studies, then went on to Arizona State, 
got a master's degree in learning and instructional technology and still kind of had no real idea what I was going to do with my, uh, with my career. And once I got my master's done, I came home to my hometown in Chico, uh, California, and I ended up getting really, really sick and ended up spending four years of my life um, in and out of the hospital, primarily spending the time at UCSF Hospital in San Francisco. Took a while to figure out what was going on, but got autoimmune diseases and ulcerative colitis and colon cancer started to develop. And I had to have emergency surgeries. And uh, at this point in my life, I've had nine total surgeries now, two emergency life-saving surgeries. Throughout that whole process, was sucking down morphine and Oxycontin and every kind of pain med you can imagine. So I had a challenge after the health crisis was over with kicking off uh, all these drugs. So, you know, I, I went through the ringer to say the least. And there I was at 27 years old and I'd, I'd never had a job before, at least that wasn't involved playing sports or, or coaching sports. So I got into sales candidly because it was the only thing, uh, the only thing I could think of where I could, uh, you know, make up for lost time and how hard I worked and, and, and how good I did uh, would dictate my income level. And, and that appealed to the athlete in me. And I went after startups because I thought I could candidly move up faster than if I went to work for some big corporation. I can't imagine going through what you've gone through. Uh, and, and you were very vulnerable to just kind of lead with that is that, you know, you were kind of addicted to opioids. I know we have an epidemic and, and a crisis in this country right now with that. You've kind of used that uh, struggle, obviously, I, I don't know how else to describe it, but you've used that to build the process behind which has made you too successful. It's the theme of your, your new book, Addicted to the Process. How much can you share about that? And how did you transfer that into th this process of, of sales? When I first started selling, I, I didn't have, I didn't get any training really at all. You know, I, I had four hours, my first day, my first job where they kind of told us about the company and a little bit about the product, and then it was off you go. So I really had to figure all this stuff out myself from scratch. And it took me a little while and I was terrified of the phone at first. And I remember trying to, after my very first day, and I had to really struggle with it. And I had to really try to try to want it and make it happen. And once I started experiencing some success, one of the things that I've been very good at in my life is figuring something out and then not tinkering with it and sort of sticking with what works, whether that's a service motion in tennis or whether that's you know, when I was a freshman in college, I played right fullback. And I remember my coach telling me, you know, either pass the ball into the middle to the center halfback, short pass up the line, or just blast it. Like three options. Don't overthink it. And, and I would stay with that. And so I found this process that was working for me. And that process sort of, I, I molded it into, you know, some of the health struggles that I had. I, I realized that people didn't care about what I was selling. They didn't care about who I was, what company I was with. All they cared about was you know, what problem that they're facing right now and, and why that particular problem is important to fix and, and why we should fix it uh, with any kind of urgency. And then and only then would somebody care about what I was selling. And I, I can't remember the exact moment, but I eventually realized that was very similar to how you deal with somebody who's got an addiction problem. Right? You get them to admit that they have a problem, but that's not enough on its own. You got to get them to understand why it's important to kick this problem. Like you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your family, all this kind of stuff. 
And then you've got to make them understand that you need to act now because delaying is going to, you know, it could be life-threatening for you or these relationships could be permanently damaged. And then and only then are they going to be interested in hearing about the solution, which, you know, might be rehab or treatment of some kind. And so it, it took me uh, a couple of years to kind of really, you know, marry those two thoughts together and come up with this pretty obvious to me now process and, and way to look at things. And I've, I've been kind of operating under that premise for the last 10 years or so now. So let's hone in on that a little bit. One of the things that I heard you say in there was that you they have to admit they have a problem, right? If you were to tell an addict that they have a problem, they're not going to listen to you. I see a lot of sales reps today you know, reaching out with the problem statements that they believe that a prospect has, but they're telling it. They're kind of like forcing that problem on them. How do you, how do you flip the script on that? How do you get them to actually admit and say out loud that they are the ones who have the problem? It's definitely not enough to just tell somebody they have a problem. It's not going to be as powerful or as effective. And you get them to admit that they have a problem by just asking questions and learning more about their business. You know, so in the business that I'm in now, uh, I might call you up and, and say, you know, hey, Jim, you're in the title insurance business in, um, in Texas. Okay, you know, how many transactions a month are you guys doing out there? And, and uh, you know, what's holding you back from, from doing more? right now? What platform are you currently on? How's that working for you? What are, what are the things you like about that software? And what are the things that you, know, you wish could be a little bit different? And I just keep kind of asking specific questions until they, they give me you know, a clue. They might say, well, you know, we don't have this particular integration. Or you know, it's kind of a pain point to grow because uh, you know, we can physically only process 20 orders a day because the software is so slow. Right. So now now those are clues for me to kind of hit on. So I've got them to admit that they have you know, a problem. And now it's my my chance to educate them on why uh, fixing these particular things would be valuable. So to me, it's just all about asking the right questions, being patient, listening really well, waiting for the moment that uh, you have an opening and then, you know, proceeding. And as opposed to just calling people up and barfing all sorts of information up at them and telling them they've got a problem and here's my solution. That's, that's just not the way that, that I teach people how to sell. So as you're laying that out there, are you talking about from a pure cold outbound perspective or would that be an inbound lead or do you, how do you distinguish between the two of those? How's the process different? I, I actually don't distinguish between the two. And I think it's a really important point to make because most people assume that an inbound lead knows all these things already and is just there to buy. And I don't make that assumption whatsoever. I sort of pause an inbound lead and say, okay, let's, let's actually go back to the beginning. Like what brought you here, right? What, what are the challenges that are going on in your business that led you to look for this particular solution or to reach out to us or to download our white paper or, or whatever it may be? And that's really, really important not to skip. For me and the way I sell, I don't ever skip that process. Find pain, build value, stress, urgency, discuss solution. Those, those, that's the order. So I don't care if it's a cold call. I don't care if it's a you know inbound over the phone. I don't care if it's a face to face meeting at a at a trade show. Th- those that's the way that I kind of go about it. Th- that's the way my sales team sells. That's the way I sell. That's the flow that I want everybody to follow. I've had a few guests on the show in the last couple of months, uh, Scott, that have tried to get me away from this notion of pain-based selling. They they want to say it's dead. I don't buy that, and, and I pushed back even uh, in our conversations. However. 
when you're dealing with disruptive solutions and truly brand new technology where there isn't pain because they didn't know there was a better way, how do you how do you start to explore that or how do you start to set up that conversation in the very beginning? I wouldn't say that there wasn't pain. I just would say that maybe they weren't aware of the pain. So the you know the, the first first challenge there is to get them to understand that there is limitations and I, I maybe I have to be a little more delicate about getting them to admit that they that they have pain. I th- I think other ways to do it is you know if you've got a a good product that is truly innovative and disruptive lean on it, you know. Just get people in front of the product. Get them on demos, have current customers of yours be brand advocates for you and talk to prospects, you know, like testimonial kind of based and um, have them share the the problems that, you know, they face and problem that they didn't know that they have. That's kind of how I would go about it. I'm, I'm a little bit blessed in my industry right now because the people that we talk to, they're very aware of, of the pains that they've had. They're very aware of the limitations that their software has had for 20 something years. And they're very grateful right now for, you know, an alternative option that uh, is solving some of these problems. So if I was a, if I was a young salesperson just getting started, that's one of the things I would be really vetting as I was looking at different opportunities is what is the real value here that this particular company and this, this product is, uh, is providing, you know, what, what competitive advantages are there? Uh, You want to attach yourself to a, to a winning horse, you know, it's really hard to be a, a salesperson and you're trying to sell a product that uh, is less than stellar or, or, you know, it's just a difficult value proposition, right? So I think, I think salespeople should, should look about that, look at that a lot more than they, uh, than they do sometimes right now. I'm sitting here shaking my head as you're talking. I completely agree with you. I think one of the things that, you know, as I look backwards on my career, I've been fortunate in is that for the most part, what I've sold has been established services or established software. And and all I mean by that is the fact that there was a known issue in the marketplace that it could solve. But now that I'm doing coaching and training, I'm working with a lot of companies, you know, they've just raised a, a small seed round and they're bringing a product to market that no one ever knew could even do the things that it could do. And so we're kind of being forced to maybe show, as you said, maybe show the product, do some demos. But when they don't have any customers, they can't lean on that. Do you have any advice, Scott, for how they should start their initial prospecting campaigns? I wish more companies thought about this before they just turn people loose on the phone, to be honest with you. Yeah, that That's part of the challenge, especially with this current model of, you know, let's hire a bunch of SDRs or MDRs, whatever they call them nowadays, and, you know, throw these kids to the the wolves, so to speak, uh, that really just sets people up for a frustrating experience and a and a big challenge. So I, ideally, you know, the, the founders and maybe the head of sales have have really thought about the messaging and and, and tried to establish uh, you know differentiator. It cannot be just all about the solution. You you have to you have to do enough discovery. You have to dig in enough to get people to admit that they have some kind of challenge going on uh, with their business, you know, and it might be different depending on the size of the company, the geography of the company, uh, the vertical. And so you adapt, you know, you might have three to five different versions of a, a script for lack of a better word, depending on the market segment you're going after. And you got to teach your team to really quickly figure out, you know, which path am I supposed to go down after the first five minutes based on how they've answered certain questions? 
that might be one strategy with the secondary one being advice to founders and sales leaders, which would be don't hire a bunch of salespeople and turn them loose when you don't know the process yet at all. When you start talking about the notion of hiring, you know, young SDRs, I, I'm, I'm starting to really bang my head against the wall with this is, you know, we're hiring young kids straight out of college who have no business experience, no business acumen, no technology experience, at least in the technologies that we're selling, and can't have conversations with executives. And they become the immediate face of our companies and trying to go set appointments. It's starting to really baffle me that we thought that that could be successful without, as you said, completely preparing them for, here are the types of things that you're likely to encounter. Here's how we're going to go after this. Here's how we're going to message it. Here's how we're going to counter the objections and, and stuff like that. It's it's just been fascinating to me to watch this industry evolve over the last really six, seven years is kind of what I've seen. What, what As I was going through your LinkedIn, I think I counted at least 11 different companies that you've advised for uh, on the sales front. What, what do you think the most common thing is or, or what are you seeing with the teams that uh, that you're working with that they struggle with the most? They struggle with coming up with a consistent process, to be honest with you. They have one method that worked one or two times and another method that worked a few times and, and they can't settle on one particular way to do things. And you have to build a sales process that doesn't scale yourself. It scales at a kindergarten kind of level, right? You have to assume that, you know, if you're the founder or you're the head of sales, that you're going to sell this thing better than anybody else. And in your tactics and your approach, you know, a, a beginner is not going to be ready for that. So you have to strip away complexity. You know, when I, when I came to Qualia, for example, you know, these guys had a great product, great market for it and couldn't sell anything. And one of the first things I noticed was that there was so many features. The product is so robust. They were trying to talk about everything. And when you talk about everything, it just confuses people. So my first task, the way I looked at it was, how do I simplify this so I could give it to any salesperson on the street and have them better comprehend it and better be able to pitch it? So I you know, worked with the founders and said, give me the three or four most important features, most important pain points that our customers go through. and that's it. That's all I want to focus on. That's what I, that's the advice that I would give is just try to simplify things, strip it, strip it down. It's interesting. We kind of touched upon this SDR AE thing. I've never set up an SDR AE model in my life for a number of different reasons. I know it's all in vogue, but there's a lot of challenges with it. My main challenge with it, to be honest with you, is as, a, as somebody that considers myself a coach and a, and a teacher, I don't feel good about teaching people only one part of a process. If my job is to teach Sally, who just graduated from UT, how to be a salesperson, uh, I want to teach her the whole sales cycle. I want to teach her how to prospect, how to set appointments, how to demo, how to close, all this stuff. Um, and I've seen too many SDRs, even ones who've done really well at, as an SDR, not be able to get to an AE level because they go interview for jobs and people in my position are like, oh, that's great, Scott, but uh, you've never closed a deal before. So, you know, we can't hire you in this AE role. And they get stuck. And I, that doesn't sit well with me. So I, I've, I've avoided those type of things. All of my salespeople are full cycle. And I try to encourage the companies that I work with to, to do the same as, as long as it makes sense. So you have them out hunting for their own leads as well as qualifying their own inbound that's, and then running full cycle? I don't have them hunting their own leads. That part I take care of. Salespeople should not, in my opinion, have to source their own leads. That's not their skill set. So, you know, I've, I've had a really robust sales operations team led by a, a really smart uh, lady who, who helps me with it. And, you know, we get all the 
leads to our team. We put it in front of them. All they have to do is call them. They prospect. They make sure that they get the right person on the phone. They tee up demos. They run the demos. They follow up. They close the deals, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's full cycle for, for me all the way. So you truly are letting them be the quarterback of the deal, but someone's snapping the ball to them before they get to uh, to run the play. I like that. That's a good way. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to hit you, Scott, with the, one of the age-old objections that I, I'm sure you get uh, regularly, and I hear it all the time as well. This just seems like a nice to have, not a need to have. How do you kind of combat that? How do you get in front of that? Like I said before, if you can get yourself into a situation where you're selling a must-have instead of a nice to have, that's a smart way to go. I wish somebody would have taught me that lesson a long time ago uh, as well, because I, I, I certainly have not always been in that position. There's a lot of things that are nice to, ha- nice to have, but they're a must-have if you want to get to the next level. Sometimes there's things that are nice to have, but you know it becomes a must-have if you're about to go out of business, if your business is being threatened. It's a must-have if you want to double your volume. It's a nice-to-have if you're kind of okay with your current uh, volume of your business. It's, it's about figuring out what these people that you're talking to, what their goals are, right? What's their problem? What are they looking to do? You know, why do they want to solve this problem potentially? It, it's, it's not about me coming up with some fancy rebuttal like, well, I understand you think this is a nice to have, but, you know, you're going to get left behind uh, if, you don't, if you don't switch. Well, maybe they don't care about getting left behind because they're retiring in another year or two. You know, I've had that before. They're like, look, I'm doing, I'm doing just fine. I'm going to ride this out for another year and a half. And then we're going to fold up shop. Well, that's not the right prospect for me. And I shouldn't be wasting my time on that particular prospect. Um, So it's about learning maybe to be effective and efficient with your time and going after the right type of prospects. Some of those things are are things that I think about in, in the context of your question. What I'm kind of hearing you say as well is it, it all does go back to discovery. And so uh, one of the things that I think is the biggest challenge I'm seeing with the reps that I work with is they bring a deal to me at the end and kind of hope or uh, I guess that's the right word. They hope that I can help them save a deal or get it across the finish line. And I'm like, whoa, 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 we're at the wrong point of all of this. There's no magic that just happens at the end where the customer drops their wallet and hands it to you. We got to go all the way back to the beginning. What did we uncover? And it's frustrating for those reps because I do it to them every single time. They're like, no, no, I just need to overcome this objection. Then it's sold. I'm like, no, it's not. You're getting that objection because you didn't actually uncover what you needed to uncover. I'm sure it's a, you have the same answer as me, I bet. But like, what, what's the number one question sales reps come to you and ask for help about? Closing probably, right? How, yeah. How do I close this deal? How do I close the deal? And my response is always, if you're asking me how to close this deal, you've screwed up way sooner in the process all the way back to the beginning. So you don't need help closing. You need help with the intro, with the finding the pain part, right? Um, so I, I'm pre- I preach this, the, the same thing as you. There's no, there's no, magic, uh, no magic bullet at the end to suddenly kick a deal over the fence. By the time something gets to close, the close should be kind of inevitable because everything has been done the right way up until then. It should be easy buying process for the customer and an easy uh, sales process for the, the the seller. And that doesn't mean every deal is going to close, but you know, I've even had to fight with some of the CEOs that I work with because they think that I can come in and do closing training. And I'm like... <laughs> I'm happy to talk to you about some techniques around how to overcome objections at the end, but 
let's go address that objection from the very beginning. Because in my opinion, Scott, and I don't know if you, you showed this, but every single objection that you get was known by the buyer from the day one. It's just whether or not you had the opportunity to get it out of them and uncover it or have the courage to ask about it. Yeah. And, and every single one of those objections should be known by you as the seller already as well. You know, one of the things that I do is we, we, when I first get started with a company, I just start documenting every single objection that there is. And we just add to it until we have this robust uh, playbook that includes an objections and rebuttals document. So none of my people should ever be surprised by anything that they hear um, at this point in time when, you know, you, we've been working this organization now for almost a year and a half or so. There should be nothing new. And if anything new does fly at us, boom, we add it to the to the list. So the buyer has known these uh, were going to be objections of theirs. Uh, the seller has known, right? So there's no point in shying away from some of these things. Like, let's talk about the price. Let's talk about the contract term. Let's talk about the fact that, you know, you're relatively new in the industry. And, you know, what if you go away? Or what if you your startup runs out of money? All these kind of things. Just, ha- just have at it. Just go directly at those kind of conversations, you know, get, get to the point faster. I'd rather have those kind of conversations early on in the process than have them, you know, come out at the very end. That, that would tell me that I haven't done a very good job of, of vetting the, the deal and making sure that I haven't wasted, you know, the last couple phone calls or the last couple of weeks of my time. Scott, you've been doing this for you know nearly 15 years. I, I, I talked about many of the awards that you've achieved and, and the success that you've had answer this for me. Like, how do you, I know you're a competitive person, but how do you maintain that level of success and drive for so long after so many years of doing what some may say is the same thing over and over and over? I think a lot of that comes from me knowing exactly what it's like to lose everything and have everything ripped out from under you. So I think I have a, a sense of the, the value of every opportunity that we get the sense of urgency that we all have with the relatively limited amount of time that we have. And so I want to make the most of everything. You know, I'm 40 years old now. You know, if God willing, I'm able to retire sometime in the next 20, 25 years. You know, if I'm at an average job for four or five years, that means I've only got five at bats left. Five. That's it. That means I sure as shit better choose who I go work for really, really carefully and make sure that I am very passionate about. Uh, what I'm doing and what I'm building and who I'm working with. And so I, I, I think I just stay really focused on those things. I stay really focused on on why, you know, why am I working so hard? Why am I trying to, you know, get to the next level, right? And that has to do with, uh, you know, taking care of my family, getting to a place where, you know, I can continue to take care of my health and, and their health and, you know, give them opportunities that, that maybe I didn't have. And it, as I get older now, it's increasingly becoming about me leaving a legacy. You know, some, some of the things I'm most proud about right now, are, it's not the awards or it's not the, the companies that I've worked with that, you know, got sold to somebody or whatever. It's the people that I met who were ex-felons or a farmer or a single mom living in a Motel 6 or an alcoholic or a drug addict. So many people have come through my sales orgs and they're now in a much better position in life. I can think of a girl who's a founder of a medical company who lives in Seattle who used to be an inside sales rep for me, first job out of school. This lady who was a farmer with no sales experience that I took a chance on and now she's a VP of sales at a venture-backed company. 
uh, ex-felon that uh, has since become, you know, one of my best friends that is now a, a head of sales at a company. And the list goes on and on and on. And this like, almost like this coaching tree that sort of extends out from me. These are the things that I'm the most proud of, just seeing some of these people succeed and become peers and and surpass me even. I mean, that feels really, really good. And, and so it's very easy for me to stay focused and stay motivated. You put a big smile on my face as you were saying all that. The notion of leaving a legacy, and not just for your, your own personal life and your kids and your family, but also through the people whose careers that you touch. Uh, I, I'm just a few years younger than you, but um, I've already started to have some of the people that I've mentored and coached and trained over the years start to reach back out to me now. There are two or three companies removed. And like, Jim, you know, when you taught me this, that has stuck with me the entire time. And it's those moments that you just really, really feel amazing about your career. So I appreciate uh, you sharing all of that, Scott. Those moments are awesome. You know, I, I've had people reach out to me and tell me that they read my book and they, they, they got a lot of value from it. And, you know, strangers that I've never met before. And it's a really, really cool feeling and a really humbling feeling as well. I love it. I love it. Scott, it's, I got to take a quick break so that I can say thank you to my sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And Sales Sooners, you don't go away there. We'll be right back. Costello has been a sponsor of this show for several months now. So I wanted to call founder and CEO Frank Dale and ask him why exactly he built Costello. You and I have talked to a lot of salespeople and I've yet to meet one that doesn't want to be great. But if we look at the tools that they have available to them, they're not built to make their job easier. We have CRM and it's great for contact management. We have awesome tools like our friends at SalesLoft that will help you with cadences and, and reaching out to prospective customers. But the second we start talking to someone, we're stuck with Post-it notes, Google Docs, and Evernote templates. And if you're trying to run a dynamic sales call, that just doesn't cut it. And so what that leads to is forgetting to ask that question you meant to ask, not remembering that customer story when you need to tell it, and then data that maybe we need to understand what's going on in the business, not making it back to CRM. Connect with Frank and his team or request a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com and see why their platform is truly changing the way reps run sales calls. We're back and it's time for the money round. Scott, are you ready for the money round? I'm ready. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Knowing that I've already gone through the hardest thing in my life that I'll ever go through and uh, I've defeated it. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Reading. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. Oh, I hate to lose for sure. Not even close. I don't want to see the look in people's eyes if I've somehow let them down. I think that might that might be the the biggest lever for me. I also don't want to see the look in my opponent's eyes that makes them think they're better than me. What's a book, Scott, that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? The 48 Laws of Power was one of the first books that I ever read when I got into business and sales. And I've read it a few times and I, I, I enjoy recommending it to others. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Scott's suggestion of the 48 Laws of Power for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book, and there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. And again, that's salestuners.com slash book for the 48 Laws of Power. Scott, what is currently at the top of your bucket list? Moving to Costa Rica. Buying a house and moving to Costa Rica and just kind of chilling out. 
I think that's how I'd like to ride off into the sunset, surf every day and relax. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales students out there grinding today? Make sure you're spending time with people who are supporting you, helping you grow, and that you're learning from. And get rid of people in your life who are bringing you down and uh, contribute to some of your bad habits or don't understand the, the mission that you're on. You know, I, I think that old adage that your parents maybe told you when you were a little kid, like, don't hang out with those kids. Those are the bad kids. I think that becomes more and more true. And, and that sort of old Jim Rohn quote about you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, I think it becomes increasingly more important to reevaluate that as you get farther advanced in your career. As, as you keep moving up, not everybody can move up with you. And so you need to constantly reevaluate and hang in the right circles, so to speak. If you want to dive deeper into Scott's mind, I highly recommend his book, Addicted to the Process, that you can find on Amazon. Scott was also very excited to talk about his upcoming Surf and Sales Summit. If you're tired of superficial conversations in stodgy hotels and prefer a more intimate conversation without vendor pitches, check out surfandsales.com, where they'll be hanging out in Costa Rica, May 20th through 24th. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, stick with what works. Once you find a system that works, stick with it. As obvious as it may sound, too often we want to tinker with things, sometimes out of just boredom. Your goal should be to strip down everything to the smallest set of choices you can possibly have and then run those plays consistently. Number two, lean into objections. The buyer knows every objection they're going to come up with from before they even decided to talk to you. And unfortunately, they're not just going to go away. That said, don't shy away from them. Lean directly into those objections and have the conversations about those known challenges as early as possible in the process. This will accelerate the good deals and get you out of the bad ones. Number three, strip out complexity. Regardless of how much your product can do, figure out the top three to four pain points your ideal customers face and focus on those. Now, you may be thinking that comment should be focused on your internal product team, but it's not. When you talk about all the features you can provide, all you do is confuse people, including yourself. By focusing on a smaller subset of real value, you can help create the right conversation and position accordingly. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there. And they stay there. What's the best purchase you've ever made?